but I, I'm really excited to get started. So we're going to get started. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will get a Bible to you. And, and we're going to be looking at Luke, the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 11. Now, you guys will probably be reading out of the English Standard Version. I'll be reading from uh, the New King James Version. Um, I'm actually a King James baby. Amen. There's two of us in here. I, I'm a king. I grew up on King James uh, uh, Bible. I, you know, not that I believe that it's the best version, but that's the one I memorize all the scriptures from. My, my father was very hardcore and made sure that me and all my brothers, we knew the scriptures. He said, there's no sense of coming here if you don't know what it says. So he made us study the Bible. Good times, and, and it was even our punishment sometimes. <laughs> so the two things my father would say, you go read the Bible and you'll read the dictionary. Yeah, so I have a large vocabulary. I don't know what all the words mean sometimes, but I use them. So, uh, worship. Sometimes we talk about praise and worship. And again, let's give it up for Jason Squires uh, for coming and leading worship. Jason and I actually had a moment uh, uh, of uh, somebody actually thought Jason was me. Uh, yeah, that's what I said. Because he's like at least an inch taller than I am. Um, <laughs> praise and worship. We use praise and worship synonymously um, as if they are the same thing. But they really are two totally different things. Praise is adoration or giving gratitude. Everybody gives praise, whether you think you do or not. You praise. When the dog does what the dog is supposed to do, where the dog is supposed to do it, you say, good dog. That's praise. If you have children and your child draws you a picture and you don't even know what the picture is, you say, good job. That's praise. Your favorite ball team scores a point and you get happy about it. That's praise. Everybody does praise. Psalms 150 even says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise requires no relationship. It's just what we do. Worship, however, is a level of intimacy. It means the only way that I can worship you is that I get to know you and then I let you get to know me. So what really stops us uh, in this intimacy relationship with God and, and learning how to worship? For me, I believe one of the biggest problems that we have as Christians in the Christian church is that we don't trust God. We say we do. I'm sure if I asked anybody in here today, you would say, yes, I trust him. But if we were really honest with ourselves, we don't trust him like we should. And we definitely don't trust him like we say we do. We believe in him. We believe that God is real. We believe that God does good stuff, but we don't always believe that God will do good stuff for us. We just don't always trust him. So it, and it really becomes trust and obedience. The biggest problems that we have in our relationship is trust and obedience. 
So today we're going to talk about uh, some practical ways that we can begin to really trust God. A couple of weeks ago, and and we all have trust issues. Are y'all willing to admit that today? We have some trust issues. I mean, I do. I have a lot of stuff. I come with a lot of baggage, but it's my baggage. And for me to relinquish my baggage to you is a big deal because I don't know what you are going to do with my stuff. I was talking to some of our college students a couple of weeks ago, and they're talking about going skydiving. And they say, Pastor Darrell, you want to go skydiving with us? And I was like, no. (laughs) I don't want to go skydiving because I don't trust the guy strapped to my back. I don't trust him. We don't know each other. We're not dating. (laughs) We don't have any history. So if something goes wrong, you're going to think about you before you think about me. And I don't want to be in any relationship where the height of our intimacy is you throwing me out of a plane. (laughs) But all, all of life that we encounter, all of life in our relationship with God is learning how to trust him. And learning to trust God starts this way. Learning to trust God means we have to stop relying on ourselves. We have to give up. And the reality is we're control freaks. That person sitting next to you, control freak. They didn't want me to tell you that, but the cat is out of the bag. They are a control freak. We want to know everything ahead of time. We want, we want all the instructions. We want it all. Very seldomly, it, if God says, hey, this is what I want you to do, do we go, yeah, let's go. We usually say, yes, God, I'll do it. But I do have a plan B just in case yours doesn't work. And what ends up happening is we do plan B first. We say, I don't know if God's plan is going to work, so I'm going to go with my own plan first. I mean, if you think about the story of of Abraham and and God comes to him and says, hey, guess what? I know you're old. Your wife is old. You don't have any kids, but you are going to have a child in your old age. It goes to him and it goes to his wife. So you guys are going to have a child together. You are going to have a child. And at first they say, yeah, I'm sure Abraham was super happy for the obvious reasons. I'll let that ponder in your mind for a moment. (laughs) He's happy. He's excited. You go to Sarah, the Bible says she actually laughs. Can't believe that. At this point in my life, I'm going to have a child. But at some point, they stop trusting in God's word. And they say, maybe it's not going to happen the way he said. So we'll bring the maid in. Maybe that's what he meant. We have to learn to let God do what God is going to do, how he's going to do it. He's the one with the plan. Let him do his plan. We have to remember that God has the best for us. No matter what goes on, God has the best intentions for you. So when he tells you to do something, it 
it's good stuff. It may not always seem good or feel good. It may make you uncomfortable, but we have to learn to trust them. And I know trusting is hard. When we encounter somebody that, that trusts too much, we call them naive. When we encounter somebody that doesn't trust enough, we call them cynical. But I believe that most of us in here are probably more cynical than we're willing to admit. If you love your neighborhood and absolutely love your neighbors, you think they're great. You think they're awesome. You still lock your doors <laughs> and put the alarm on and you don't tell them the code. You might believe that no one in this place would steal your car. But just in case they have a moment of weakness, you lock it. Because we really don't trust as much as we think we do. Trust is a step-by-step process. So start, let's, let's look at some ways to uh, tr- begin to trust God more practically. Let's look at Luke 5. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, Galilee, and he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and he asked him to push out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish with which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Let me set this up for you. uh, Describe this for you. In a way that possibly you can understand a little bit clearer. Have you ever had a rough day at work? I mean rough. Things that that day just didn't go right. You woke up early, you tried to get to work early, you didn't. You You got to work, there's more papers on your desk when you got there than when you left. The computer isn't acting right. The computer technicians aren't available to help you but you still have a lot to get done. You might drink coffee and the coffee was bitter all day long. You don't know who's making the coffee. The copy machine doesn't work. The faxes aren't going through. It's a rough day. You get to the end of the day and realize that I've accomplished absolutely nothing. I've been here eight, nine, ten hours, and when I look back, I've accomplished nothing at all. You are ready to go home home. You don't wait till five o'clock. At 4.50, you have turned your computer off. You have your card in your hand ready to clock out. I am getting out of here. 
I'm ready to go. I've accomplished nothing. I'm leaving. And then, just as you're leaving, the manager shows up in your cubicle and says, can you turn your computer back on and work overtime? Has that ever happened to anybody in here? Have you ever felt that way? Like, come on. I don't need to spend any more time doing nothing. I'm depressed. I'm discouraged. I already have not accomplished anything. And now you come in and say, stick around. Now, Jesus at this point, this is the beginning of his ministry. He's, he's gone through the wilderness. He's, he's overcome that. He's done the 40 days fast. Actually, at this point, the disciples aren't even the disciples yet. They're just a bunch of fishermen. So Jesus walks by, he's at the Sea of Galilee, he's on the beach, he's teaching, and the word says there was a multitude. So there's a lot of people there. And Jesus, of course, thinks, they can't all hear me where I am, so I'm going to get in a boat, so I'm more visible, and they can hear me. So Jesus goes and gets in a boat, kind of rudely. It's not your boat, Jesus. He didn't ask, could he get in the boat? It says, and Jesus saw two boats and got in one of them. Really? Have you ever felt like that? Somebody comes into your space and then command you to do stuff? You want to go, um, your name is not on this wall. But this is what Jesus does. And it's just like Jesus to do something like that. Just when we have thrown in the towel, just when we have given up, just when we have said, I'm walking away. Here, it says they were, they were washing their nets. They were done. They're washing their nets. They're cleaning up. They're ready to go home. Just when we're ready to walk away from the relationship, just when we're ready to walk away from the finances, when you're ready to walk away from the children, just when you're ready to walk away, Jesus shows up. And he could show up in an email, show up in a text, show up in a knock on the door, just when you're about to walk away. There, there's a, there's a, 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 a pastor friend of my wife and I that lives in um, Los Angeles. And it seems like, she texts us at the right time every time. Every time. On days where I'm feeling like I'm not good enough or I'm frustrated, she'll send the right text with the right words at the right time. And I'm going, wow, God, you really do show up. And sometimes I don't want him to show up. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we want to stay angry. We want to stay frustrated. You want to go kick something. We want to, but then God shows up. The first step in us learning how to trust God is we have to welcome him in. We got to let him in. Say let him in. We got to let him in. Here's what we do most of the time. We act like a bouncer at a nightclub. And we let all the wrong stuff in. When, when you're discouraged and depressed, you let all the wrong stuff in. And you'll say, bad decisions? You're on the list. Come on in. <laughs> Depression? Love your outfit. Come on in. 
rumors and gossip, looking good today, come on in. Jesus, what did you say your name was again? <laughs> Jesus, you're not on the list. We have to let him in. Tell someone, let him in. Because the reality, we need more help than we think we do. We need more help than sometimes we're willing to accept. Have you ever seen someone or been the person, you're carrying a lot of boxes or suitcases, and someone says, you need any help? And you go, no, I got it. Why do we do that? You do need some help. Welcome God in to your situation. Welcome him in onto your boat. And how do we begin to do that? We begin to do that by studying his word. We welcome him into our lives by listening to what God has to say about us. What does he say about you? Let him on to your boat. Let his word about himself, about his authority, about his power, about who he is, and about who you are. First Peter 2 and 9 says that you are royalty, that you are chosen, that you are special. Let him in so he can speak those things to you. Let him in so you can learn who he is. For I, I've been asked many times, where do I start? Where do I, should I just open the Bible and just start reading? I would suggest no, don't do that. Because you may open it up to the book of Numbers and be totally confused. Because it'll just be who begat who, begat who, begat who. And you just finding out how many kids somebody had. <laughs> My suggestion is open it up to Genesis. Start at the beginning. Because there's something incredible that happens in the beginning. It says, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. This same God that says, I want to be your friend. I don't call you a servant. I don't call you a slave. I want to be your friend. This guy created the universe in six days. And on the seventh day, he said, I'm going to chill because this looks good. <laughs> this is the guy. This, this is the guy that's, who wants to be your guy. This is the guy who's chasing after you. This is where we want to start. Find out who he is and, and what can you do for me. I mean, if you can create the universe, I'm sure you can fix my bills. I'm sure you can handle my depression issues. I'm sure you can handle my discouragement. I'm sure if you can do that. I mean, God goes, look at what I've done. Just look outside. Have you seen the sun? That's all me. Seen the constellation, the stars? That's all me. Like the sunset, pretty colors? All me. My daughter the other day, my four-year-old, she saw a dragonfly. And it may have been the first time she ever saw a dragonfly. And she goes, look, a bug and a bird mixed together. That's all God. <laughs> Verse 4 says, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Isn't it amazing how just when you've walked away from something, God says, go right back to it 
He says, launch out into the deep. I know you just left there, and I know you've been there for the last 12, 13 hours, and you've been all night long. I know that, but go back. No, seriously. Go back. Just when we've walked away from stuff, he'll call us right back. And I love what he says. He says, launch into the deep. Get serious with, your, with that thing. Don't just walk away from it. I want you to really get in there. Not, not surface relationship, but launch into the deep of it. I want you to deal with it. I, I, don't, I don't want you to just go there and stand there. I want you to get in the midst of what's going on. The very thing that hurts you, go back into the deep of it. The very thing that frustrates you and irritates you and annoys you, go back into the deep of it. We're just getting started. We're just getting started. Go back into the deep. And, and, and I like how Simon responds. Because Simon Peter responds like most of us would respond. In verse 5, he says, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. All night. And we've caught nothing. Nothing. I don't know how many fishermen there are in the, in the building, but I don't fish. I don't fish because I don't like the possibility of catching nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Sidebar, here's something that I don't understand. If you do fish, why would you fish, catch fish, and throw them back? <laughs> Seems like a waste of time. I just go to the store and buy my fish. <laughs> Takes less time, and they clean it for you. But they caught nothing. They've been working all night and caught nothing. He says, nothing. And I'm a fisherman. I'm not a guy who's fishing. I am a fisherman. This is what I do. My father was a fisherman. My father's father was a fisherman. We got all the best bait. We know how to catch fish. But we were there all night and caught nothing. Nets in the water, we moved them around, nothing. There's not an inner tube in the net. There's not a turtle in the net. We caught nothing. And that's frustrating to catch nothing, to work hard and do your best and catch nothing. So Peter says this, we caught nothing. And it's like most of us, that when God asks us to do something, we'll immediately throw that back and give him an excuse and say, have you seen what I've done? You're a carpenter. Go make a chair. That's what you do. What I do is fish, and we caught nothing. But at the end of the day, it's an excuse. It's an excuse. And if we're going to learn to trust God, we have to remove our excuses from the equation. We have to remove our reason from the equation. I love this quote by Dave Del Dotto. He says, no one ever excused their way to success. Another quote says, excuses are the nails used to build a house of failure. You might very well be tired, and I know that you are. You're discouraged. You're dis disappointed. But Jesus often shows up when we're tired, when we're disappointed, 
and in our weakness. That way, Jesus can be found to be strong. That way, he gets all the credit. So when somebody says, how'd you do it? You go, I didn't. I don't know how it happened. It happened. So this is the first part of Simon's response. We've done this all night. But the second part of that verse, he says, nevertheless, English Standard Version, I think, says, but. He says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Nevertheless. Say that with me. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. You can highlight this. You can circle this. Remember this. In the English vocabulary, there are only a handful of words that can change the entire context of a sentence, a conversation, and even the outcome of a situation. Nevertheless is one of those words. Luke only uses nevertheless after a negative statement moving into a positive statement. It's the only time he uses that word, nevertheless. I want everybody in here to have a nevertheless in your spirit. Have a nevertheless in your vocabulary. Be willing to change that situation. You may look at yourself in the mirror and say, I don't like the way my nose looks. I'm not tall enough. I don't like the shape of my body. But say this, nevertheless, I'm fine. (laughs) You may not think you're good enough to do it. Nevertheless, you are. I don't think... I'm a good enough speaker to be on this stage. Nevertheless, here I am. I don't think I'm the best singer in the world. Nevertheless, it's what I do. Never, have a nevertheless. You might think you're not good enough, but God has already made you good enough. Here's how good you are. He says you're good enough to die for. That's how good you are. You're good. You're a bag of chips, the T-shirt, and all that. You are good. God knows your faults. He knows your flaws. He knows your stuff. And he doesn't choose to use you in spite of those. He uses you because of those. You are his chosen generation. He loves you. So have a nevertheless in your spirit. Amen? Which brings us. To our next point, he says, nevertheless, but at your word, I will make a commitment to be obedient to God at any cost. Make up in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, that even when the instructions seem foggy, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. I may not like it. I may not understand it. And the reality is sometimes the stuff that God asks us to do doesn't seem logical. True? Has God ever asked you to do something? You go, really? That? Me? Have you seen me? But make up in your mind that you're going to be obedient at any cost. Doing what God asks doesn't always make sense. It's not always logical. But it requires us to be determined to do what he's called us to do. Because at the end of the day, he has your best interest in mind. In Jeremiah 29, he says, I know the plans I have for you. To prosper you. Good stuff for you. And I know sometimes it may not always seem that way. It may not always look that way because we get hurt. 
because we feel discouraged. But guess what? All these things will work out for your good. Doesn't mean all these things are good. It doesn't even mean all these things will feel good. But it means that they will work out for your good and for his glory. Amen. Verse 6 and 7. He says, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and there was and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When we put our faith and our obedience and our trust in God, he is ready to blow your mind. When we're ready to be obedient, God said, I'm going to do something you've never seen before. When he said, yeah, I'll put, my, I'll, I'll put the net out there. What they have been trying to do all night long, Jesus does in a moment. All night. He does it in a moment. In a moment. When they put their net in the water, it was full of fish. So much so that the net started breaking. And here's what I like about that. When you are obedient to God's word in your life, it doesn't only bless you, but it blesses those around you. Amen. It says, it, it says here, it was so much that they had to call their partners. It was so many fish that they had to call another boat to come and help them. And the boats were sinking. And they were not in canoes. I, I, I realize that sometimes when we think about boats in the Bible, we think that Jesus was on this little bitty boat with like three people. And they're all just in there like, let's go, guys. We can do this. <laughs> they're in a big fishing boat. Fishing boat, right? I messed this up last time. I was like, fisherman boat, fisher's boat, fish boat. They're in a big fishing boat. This thing is huge. And there were so many fish that both the boats start to sink. That's a lot of fish. We can't eat that much fish. That's a lot of fish. And when, when we obey God, wow, look at what will happen in a moment. Not only will you be blessed, your whole household will be blessed. Their whole community was blessed. They had enough fish for two boats. Their whole community was blessed. And, and this, because they chose to trust God. And trusting God is not some sort of blind, uh, uh, they call it blind faith. And I really don't like that term because blind faith says, I have no history. I have no clue. But trusting God isn't based on that. God says, look at my history. I'm not asking you to trust me based on some whim, like you don't know me. But I'm asking you to trust me based on, look at what I've done. The Bible says that goodness and mercy follows us. So we actually have an opportunity to look back and go, wow. Look at where God brought me from. 
I actually didn't think I would make it through those things. I didn't think I would make it through the passing of my mother. I didn't think that I would make it through then the passing of my grandmother and then the passing of my father. I didn't think that I could make it through some of that stuff. But look, I didn't think that I could overcome some esteem issues and, and feeling less than, but man, look at where he brought me from. Can I get six men volunteers, six men volunteers, really quick, really fast? If you don't volunteer, I will volunteer you. Six men volunteer. One, two, three, four, five, six, beautiful, seven. I'll take you two. Come on, you start. No, we're going to come right down here. We're going to come right down here. Come this way and you stop there. Turn that way. No, you yeah, there. Now, line up, three of you, line up. No, this, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to work on instructions. This way, uh-huh, yep, you turn. There we go, God bless you. All right, now you face him. All right. Now, if, if you would, if I can get one of you at the top, sort of like a steeple. There we go, beautiful. Uh, Lance told me this was the best service. If, if you would uh, extend your arms out, move a little bit closer to each other, grab hold of arms, awesome. wonderful. Um, trust is hard. <laughs> trust is hard. They don't know me, I don't know them. Trust is difficult. It is. I know it is. It's hard giving somebody your stuff especially when you can't see what's going to happen on the other side. It's hard. But God says, if you look at my body of work, you can already see that I've done some pretty awesome things. Anybody here like basketball? You know who Kobe Bryant is? If you had a basketball team and Kobe Bryant showed up and he says, I want to be on your team, you would say, let's go. We are going to win, and I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> Kobe's on my team. You've never played with Kobe. You've never made him, met him, but you've seen his body of work. You have confidence and trust in him because he's got five championship rings. You've seen him be the clutch man. You've seen what he can do. And so our trust and obedience in God is built on that. If God says leap, leap, because he's going to do one or two things, he will either catch you or give you wings to fly because he's that kind of guy. Thank you, gentlemen. God bless you. And that's what trust looks like. When I was eight years old, my father taught me how to swim. We were at a family reunion in Michigan, Detroit. All my, my cousins and stuff were swimming, and I couldn't swim. And so my dad says, I'm going to teach you how to swim. I, I'm scared. He says, trust me. And it's like 13 feet of water in this pool. And he says, I'm going to teach you how to swim. Okay. 
I put my trust in my father. My father picks me up and he throws me in the deep end. (laughs) While I'm in the deep end, I'm thinking, this man wants to kill me. (laughs) He doesn't jump in, but he stands at the edge of the pool and he says, swim. Kick your feet. And then at one moment, he says, calm down. Now, of course, my mind is moving very quickly, and I'm thinking, I'm about to drown, and you're telling me to calm down? And and, and with this still, even voice, my father still says, calm down. Calm down. And eventually that registered to me. And so I calmed down. And I sank to the bottom of the pool. (laughs) Now I'm at the bottom of the pool and I'm looking around. And I can see, you know, my cousins and other relatives swimming. But I was calm. For some reason, I was calm. And I was, in my mind, I was at the bottom of the pool for like 10 minutes. I was probably there no more than 30 seconds. But at some moment, I said, I guess I can do this. And I kicked my feet, and I came to the top of the pool, and I swam. Trusting God looks like that sometimes. It looks like he's throwing us into the deep end. But if we listen and hear his voice, man, I can swim. And here's the thing. I I like this story because it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the fact that they just got a bunch of fish. And everybody got a bunch of fish. It later on says in in verse 8, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, I will make you fishers of men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. Here's the real reward in all of this. God is not concerned with just giving you a good story. He wants to transform your life. He wants to make you into something that you've never been before. They went from being fishermen to fishers of men. He wants to change you from the inside out wants to change your life. He wants to change your perspective. It's nice to have good stories. Ooh, look what God did for me. But what did he do in you? And that's the big deal of worship and learning to trust God. Jesus wants you to know life, how it was meant to be experienced. When we think about Peter, look at what happens to Peter. Peter. Peter, the same guy who gave an excuse. And later on, when we learn about Peter, Peter is the same guy who cut a guy's ear off. 
He cut his ear off. You don't go around cutting people's ear off. I actually think that Peter was trying to cut his head off, and he just had bad aim. (laughs) But he cut his ear off. Peter, the same guy that after Jesus was crucified, they say, hey, aren't you the guy that was with Jesus? And Jesus curses a whole, uh, uh, Peter curses a bunch of people out. This same Peter becomes one of the fathers of our churches. This guy transformed from the inside out. Devote yourself to being totally committed and trusting in God and his word. Your devotion will directly affect the level of your fullness you have in your life. Commit to trusting him today with all that you have and watch God begin to do some amazing things in your life. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we just bless you and thank you for who you are and what you continue to do in us. We thank you that you're using our lives as a testimony of how good and how great you truly are. We lift your name up in this place, God. We lift your name up in this place. Help us to trust you. Help us to let go. Help us to hear your voice when we feel like we're in the deep end. Help us to get rid of all of the excuses that we have. God, you already know our stuff. We don't even need to confess our faults and our issues. You, you know what that stuff is. Help us to be more intimate with you, to learn more about you. Give us a passion deep on the inside that no matter what it costs us, no matter how uncomfortable we feel, that we will obey your word. So, God, we thank you that your light is shining through us and your glory is being revealed in every step we take. So we pray for true service. That once we leave this place, that we would do what you have called us to do and you've destined us to do. We thank you for it. We bless you for it. In your name, amen.